Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. It is me, Elizabeth Benton, and... I want to talk about tracking today, right? I want to talk about not necessarily the food tracking part of it, but all of the other things we want to pay attention to. Because I think a lot of people understand the value of writing down what you eat, but they miss over paying attention to the signals your body is sending you because that's where all the gold is. That's where all the information is. Now, if you're new to the show, you might not have any idea in the world what I mean by tracking, all right? It is far simpler than you think, especially if you have ever tracked calories or macros. This is way easier because really, I am talking about tracking as simple as writing down what you eat and how it makes you feel, all right? And I don't mean like rainbows and butterflies kind of feelings, but like hunger, energy, mood, all of that kind of stuff, right? Doesn't take more than five minutes a day. And I hear objections, I swear, every single time to tracking. Why people can't, why it's hard, which is crazy because to me, it's so easy and effective. Like it really, really works. It's one of the simplest things we can do to help us reach our goals. But like people want to argue for why they just can't do it. And That's fine. You don't have to. I can't make you. But I have said this before. I won't work with anybody one-on-one if they won't track, right? Because we don't have information. We don't know what the signals the body is sending are. I mean, it's just crazy. So if you want to argue for why you can't, I think you might want to check your arguments. People tend to be resistant to tracking because it takes so much time or they don't like counting calories. They feel like it's a like a good bad thing, a judgment thing. And so there's too much emotion attached to the tracking for them or they find it cumbersome. Some people just don't like facing what they eat. There's a lot of guilt and shame there. And other people just say, I can never remember to do it. And I want to be very clear that when I talk about tracking, I am not talking about counting anything except maybe the number of hours you sleep. I am not talking about counting calories or counting macros. To me, tracking is very simply a record of what you eat, how it makes you feel, and your fat loss. And as far as tracking fat loss, I'm not a big fan of the scale because there is a difference between weight loss and fat loss. And I really encourage my clients to do waist and hip circumference. You can get a tape measure, like a fabric tape measure, for 99 cents. And you measure, you measure, you measure your waist. You measure your waist at the most narrow point, and your hips at the widest point. That's all. You don't have to be precise. I mean, just do your best. But that is how I measure progress in terms of fat loss. Right? It only takes five minutes a day. Honestly, I have worked with so many people that do 
this tracking, journaling, whatever you want to call it. You certainly can make it longer than that if you want to kind of write about a situation and how you navigated it or how you struggled. But at its basic elements, it doesn't take more than a few minutes per day. No food measuring, no calorie or macro counting. And if you're curious about the calorie macro counting and why I think that can be really misleading and cumbersome, episode 62 of the podcast, which I will link to on the show notes, or you can just grab 62, is all about why I think calorie counting and macro counting might not be the most effective way or the simplest way to go about fat loss. So when it comes to tracking or journaling, you can argue for why it's hard and why you won't be consistent, or you can just save your energy and do it and see that it will soon be a habit and you'll fall in love with how much you can learn from it without fail. My clients slowly come around, some faster than others, and really become advocates of tracking. It was fun to see when so many people from my fall coaching group rolled over into the winter, and the winter people were like, I'm really struggling with tracking, and the fall people were like, oh my gosh, it's so important, you have to do it. I was really resistant, but I've learned so much, and it's helped me so much. So the tracking is critical. And this is one of the primary differences between the diets you've always done before and a lifelong fat loss strategy that works for you. Because when you're on a diet, you're paying attention to somebody else's rules, somebody else's progress. And like I say regularly on the show, we pay more attention to other people and other people's rules than we do to for ourselves and finding the rules that work for us. So there are many benefits to tracking. First of all, It tells you what's working or not working for you because many people will email me and say, I'm just confused. You know, this blog says to do it this way and this somebody says to do it this way. And I've read that this is good, but I've also read that this is bad. Well, when you track, your body tells you those answers for you because for some people, one thing works, but it doesn't mean it works for you. And instead of getting hung up on all the conflicting information, realize that your body is not going to give you conflicting information, right? No matter who you are or where you are or what your goals are, I think you need to pay more attention to your own body and less attention to everybody else's. The second benefit of tracking is that it brings your attention to your food choices repeatedly throughout the day. And I think we can all relate to becoming a little bit unconscious of our food choices. Not because we're lazy or unfocused, but we've set a goal and then life happens. We're busy. We're juggling a million different things. And so our attention drifts away from our goals. But when we're tracking, it's like we're tethered to our goals right? Our attention is going back to them multiple times each day. And that's really, really powerful for keeping your focus and keeping your motivation. The third thing is that tracking brings perspective. And we need that perspective. Because when we're changing our eating habits, we tend to measure our progress from where we are right now to where we want to be, where we think we should be, where we want to go. And so we end up beating ourselves up for days that aren't where we want to be or how we want them to be, and we tend to forget where we started. I could look at my own progress and be frustrated, you know, about where I thought I would be or where I hoped I would be, but tracking allows me to look back and go, (laughs) no joke, my worst day now is 10 times better than my best day 
from a couple of years ago. And that is major progress, and we need the power of that perspective. I often have my one-on-one clients go back to their beginning of the beginning of their journal and be like, hello, you have come so far. And that perspective, we need it. We absolutely need it. Now, the food part is fairly obvious. We want to write down what we eat, right? I don't think we need to measure it. I don't think we need to count the calories or the macros. And again, I talk about why in episode 62. What I want to talk about today is focusing on the signals your body is sending you because your body is always talking to you, sending you signals through things like your energy level, your mood, the quality of your sleep, your hunger, your cravings. All of these are signals. This is real-time feedback from your hormones. In the animal world, this is called post-ingestive feedback, all right? And post-ingestive feedback, post-ingestive meaning after you eat something, it's your body and your hormones letting you know what works, what doesn't, what your body needs more of, what it needs less of, what's going right, what's going wrong. We don't necessarily have to read all these blogs and posts and articles and opinions about the best foods for fat loss because when we're paying attention to our own body, guess what? We get the answers, all the answers. And I wanna use our time together today to help you understand those messages. Now I've created a bunch of questions for you to ask yourself when you've been tracking consistently for a few weeks, and you can find those on the show notes for this episode. So to find the show notes, all you got to do is go to primalpotential.com and hit the podcast tab. When you hit the podcast tab, all of the episodes are in chronological order from most recent to least recent. It was funny, I was listening to a voice note the other day from one of the folks in my group, Maggie, and you will hear from her in her own words next week on the podcast, as well as a lot of other people um, who I'm working with right now. But what triggered and kicked off her own personal transformation was something that I once said about tracking. And I didn't, I don't even remember this, but uh, she said in her voice note to me that she heard me say on a webinar or a podcast, I don't recall, that I basically wouldn't work with somebody who wasn't willing to track for 14 days. Because if they didn't have the commitment to track for 14 days, then they probably wouldn't have the commitment to do much of anything that I suggested, right? So she took on that challenge and she decided to track for 14 days right? Not not a like, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm cutting out sugar for a year. No, she was just going to write this stuff down every day for two weeks. And she did that. And that was a little less than a year ago. She has lost 40 pounds and something insane, like 14 inches around her hips and nine around her waist. But I'll let you hear her story in her own words next week on the podcast. But for her, it started with tracking and she still tracks for me it started with tracking and i still track you know over a hundred pounds later i still write it down every freaking day i still pay attention to my hunger to my sleep to my mood and my energy and my cravings there are a million signals your body is sending you But I want to talk today about the ones most related to fat loss. These are the ones that I'm always asking my clients about. And you can see these series of questions at primalpotential.com slash episode 150. 
The first one we want to take a look at is hunger. And when we're making note of hunger, and we'll talk about how to keep track of these things at the end, um, but when it comes to hunger, I want to talk about the different things that hunger can teach us about what is happening in our body. So when our body signals us with hunger, what could it possibly mean? The first real benefit to paying attention to hunger is that we can begin to see the difference between what might be kind of described as real hunger versus false alarm hunger, right? Many times I work with people that once they start paying attention to their hunger, they might say, gosh, I just ate an hour ago. Why do I feel hungry? Maybe I'll wait it out for 10 minutes just to see what happens. And then 10 minutes later, they're not hungry anymore. So it's a little bit of a habitual hunger because they're used to eating at that time, but their body doesn't truly need fuel. So the only way to differentiate and learn the difference for yourself between that real hunger, my body needs fuel, and that false alarm hunger, maybe I'm just used to eating, is to pay attention to it. The other thing that our hunger can tell us and does on a very regular basis is indicating blood sugar stability or instability, right? Because sometimes recurring hunger isn't necessarily that your body needs more fuel, but rather a signal from your body that your recent food choices are not balancing your blood sugar. Sidebar story here, when I was at my heaviest, I was hungry a lot but I was also eating a lot. So realistically, given the fact that I was almost 350 pounds, my body sure as heck didn't need more fuel, but I legitimately felt hungry. Now at that point, I didn't understand any response other than eating because I was hungry and it wasn't comfortable to feel hungry. But you have to kind of look at that and go, Okay, so I just ate a really big meal and 45 minutes later, I'm hungry again. Like something isn't right and something isn't right. So this is often a sign that we are not balancing our blood sugar. Now, here's what happens. When we eat something or some things that spike our blood sugar, there is an insulin response. And insulin is going to usher that sugar out of the blood and deliver it as energy to the cells in your body. Well, the greater the rise in blood sugar, the greater the fall. And when it falls, your body does not like those dramatic shifts, those peaks and those valleys. It doesn't want things happening in extreme. Your body wants the steady eddy blood sugar. So when your blood sugar falls dramatically, your body starts signaling you to get it back up. It doesn't want the highs and the lows. So how does it get your attention? Hunger. Does your body need fuel? No, but your body is letting you know that your recent choices haven't balanced your blood sugar. And the fastest way to get your blood sugar up, as far as the body's concerned, is to eat, right? So the hunger might not be that your body truly needs fuel, but that you've taken your blood sugar on an undesirable roller coaster ride. And the easiest way to pick up the blood sugar off the floor is to get you to eat. That is one of the primary reasons that you can have a bowl of cereal or a muffin and feel uncomfortably hungry like 30 minutes later. So this is a really important thing to pay attention to. How quickly does my hunger return after a meal or snack? The other thing that hunger might be letting you know is that you're not giving your body the nutrients it needs. When we don't eat enough fiber, like from your non-starchy vegetables, we don't sustain our 
our, our satiety levels don't stay where they need to be for that long and we see a really quick return of hunger. Or maybe it's because you're not getting enough protein. Protein is like the most satisfying macronutrient, meaning you can eat a little bit of protein and feel more satisfied, less hungry than if you had a little bit of fat or a little bit of carbohydrate, right? Or it could be that you're not getting enough fat. Any of these or all of these in combination will trigger the fast return of hunger after a meal. And you might say, well, how do I know which one? Well, when you look at your document and you see, well, I had a ton of fiber with that, but that was kind of all there was. There was no fat, there was no protein, right? Well, then you know it's not the fiber, right? Or if you look at your meal and say, well, gosh, you know, I had a big piece of chicken. Okay, so it's not the protein, right? Often when I'm looking at the tracking documents of my clients, I see that there's a lack of fiber early in the day, right? And I'm talking about fiber from non-starchy vegetables. And that's why people find that they're really hungry shortly after breakfast. But when they add in, whether it is broccoli, uh, maybe making a frittata with lots of vegetables in it or something, then they find, or an omelet, they find that they are far more satisfied for longer and they don't need that mid-morning snack that they used to be very desperate for. So we really want to tune into how quickly and intensely hunger returns after a meal or a snack. The other thing that we can pay attention to when we're tracking hunger and paying attention to its shifts is our habits related to meals and snacks. Are you getting hungry on the clock, right? Are you so in the rhythm of eating every 90 minutes to two hours that you experience hunger very predictably on the clock? Like if you're always hungry at 10 a.m., then that's very likely a sign of your habits because our hunger will naturally ebb and flow, right? Based on how we slept, based on where we are in our menstrual cycle for the ladies. It can vary based on just about anything, stress levels, right? What we ate the day before, maybe a workout or a lack of a workout. And so if it's always very rhythmic, like, oh, it's 10 o'clock, it's snack time, that is very likely not true hunger, but learned hunger or anticipation that has nothing to do with whether or not your body needs fuel. Now, some people really struggle to notice hunger at all. They're just so paying attention to other things in their day that they'll go through the whole day and they'll say, Elizabeth, I don't, I don't, I don't even notice. I don't pay attention. Okay, that's, that's fine. That's a lot of people's starting point. You're probably not in the rhythm of eating according to your body's needs, but just in the rhythm of eating according to your schedule or routine or your emotional desire for food. Many people eat preemptively because they're afraid of hunger, right? They'll pack all these snacks because, God forbid, they get hungry. But when we start to pay attention to hunger and we start to track it throughout the day, this can be a really powerful way to break the fear, right? That nervousness about getting too hungry and not having anything. Ask yourself, what, what bad thing can happen if I get a little bit hungry? Am I in danger of dying? If I get a little bit hungry, no, not if you're listening to this podcast, I would say you're probably not. Hunger doesn't hurt, right? We fear it. We get nervous about it, but it doesn't hurt. It's a little uncomfortable, but when you start to track it and you say, can I wait 10 more minutes? Can I wait 20 more minutes? What happens if I just feel this and prove to myself that I'm totally fine, right? Hunger doesn't hurt. And you can break the fear or the anxiety about hunger if you just 
allow yourself to sit with the feeling and realize I'm okay, everything's fine. Now I wanna shift gears and talk about energy and what paying attention to your energy levels can tell you about your body, your food choices, your fat loss progress. So first, all of these relate to blood sugar because insulin is one of the primary drivers of fat loss and it's one of the hormones that communicates with us kind of the most, most obviously. So as it relates to energy and blood sugar, if you find that your energy is always cycling, high energy versus I need a nap, that is a pretty clear sign that your food choices aren't necessarily balancing your blood sugar the way your body would like for them to. We balance our blood sugar with things like fiber from non-starchy vegetables, protein like eggs or fish or meat, and fat, avocado, extra virgin olive oil, fatty fish like salmon or mackerel. If you're having something like a fruit smoothie or a bowl of oatmeal or a granola bar, that's not going to stabilize your blood sugar, right? We want to think of it as like the steady eddy line that just keeps on moving. We don't want the peaks and valleys. So when we have the granola bar or the fruit smoothie, your blood sugar will go up and your energy will go up with it. But then what? What goes up must come down and your energy level crashes right along with it. That is why we so often feel tired after lunch. We get this big slam on our blood sugar and then we crash, right? And that blood sugar crash feels like an energy crash and it usually comes with hunger and cravings. You don't want to feel that mid-afternoon slump and you can really minimize and even eliminate it when you structure your meals to balance your blood sugar. That is what we're striving for. We're always working to tweak our food choices to keep the blood sugar really steady so that we don't have these wild shifts in hunger, in cravings, and in energy. The other thing that low energy levels can tell us is that maybe we're dehydrated because we have to keep in mind that it is our blood which delivers all the fuel to our cells and the primary component of our blood is water. And so if we're even mildly dehydrated, then we impair the delivery of fuel throughout the body and that can negatively impact our energy levels. Low energy could also be a sign that you're not getting the vitamins and minerals you need from a variety of foods you eat, whether that's proteins or fats or fruits or vegetables, because so many people just think of vitamins and minerals as like, well, yeah, they're healthy, but it's way more than that. They are essential cofactors for metabolism. They are required for metabolism, okay? And remember that metabolism is breaking down fuel for energy to power your body. So if you do not have those required cofactors of vitamins and minerals, guess what? Low energy. Low energy is metabolic impairment, and metabolic impairment leads to low energy because our body just cannot efficiently harvest fuel from the food we eat or from our body fat. Another thing to consider if your energy is off, are you eating enough? Here's the thing, if you are burning fat like a machine and your waist and your hip circumference are going down but you have no energy, that is not good. We don't want that. You might need to eat more. 
right? What we want is fat loss with hormonal balance. We want fat loss, we want the waist and hip circumference to go down, but we also want hunger to be predictable and normal. We want there to be very few, if any, cravings, and we want energy to be really strong and stable, okay? We don't wanna be burning fat at the expense of energy. That's not necessary because it is possible to burn fat and feel really great. If you always have low energy, no matter how much sleep you get, no matter how hydrated you are, no matter how clean you eat, if you just feel like you're always dragging. Now, if you're like a mom with a bunch of little ones and you're not getting much sleep and your sleep is interrupted all the time, I mean, that that is what it is, right? But if you feel like you are sleeping enough and you are eating really clean, and you are hydrated and you are getting the vitamins and minerals that you need, then maybe the low energy is a hormonal signal. And oftentimes when we see things like thyroid impairment, which often comes with low energy, we also see things like trouble stabilizing your body temperature. You're either really hot or you're really cold. And this might be a sign of a thyroid issue. And I've talked at length, um, gosh, early in the podcast. If you just go to primalpotential.com and search thyroid, you'll see some food choices that support thyroid health, but also it might merit a chat with your doctor. The other thing that I want to mention related to energy is considering the impact of your workouts on your energy level. Do your workouts increase your energy or drain your energy, right? Your workouts should energize you. And of course, it's okay to feel like physically wiped out right after a workout, but if for the rest of the day you have no energy, that is not good. We want the workouts to really fuel us, not drain us, right? So let's talk a little bit about mood. I'm not going to go too deeply into this because I did an entire episode, episode 90, on the link between food choices and things like depression and anxiety. It's a great episode. If you struggle with any type of mood disorder, definitely check out episode 90. I will link to it in the show notes. But if you are noticing significant fluctuations with your mood, right, you're either really up or you're really down or you're struggling with depression, a lot of this relates back to what am I going to say? What do I always start with? Blood sugar. It really, really does. Too much sugar has a very negative impact on mood, on anxiety, on cognitive abilities, focus, attention, right? And typically, when our mood is depressed and not like necessarily Eeyore sad kind of depressed, but just when our mood is down, our attitude tends to go along with it. And we see a lot of negative associations to food and that doesn't help people make good food choices. In fact, when I work with clients that have extremely negative associations with food, they tend to really struggle with their food choices the most. A lot of people might think, well, oh, well, the worse I think a brownie is, like if I think a brownie is like a, one of the seven deadly sins, then I'm not likely to have a brownie. It's actually not true. So as you are keeping this journal and as you are tracking, I want you to really look to the emotional attachment that you place with food. So one thing that I see very, very often is, especially because my clients share their journals with me, frowning faces, like little frowning emojis, or, oh, I'm so disappointed in myself. So much negative emotion attached to food. And that is something powerful that we really want to learn from 
our journals because your food choices tend to not improve until your attitude does. Remember that food is neutral, right? A cookie is not bad and an apple is not good. A cookie is a cookie and an apple is an apple. And then we crazy humans come and attach all this emotion to it. And the more negative emotion we attach to food, the more we look at one thing as really bad and another thing as really good, the more that influences our food choices and not in a good way. It shouldn't be about the emotional association of this is a yay food and this is a nay food, but what really makes me feel my best? And so we can understand the ways in which we're holding ourselves back by looking at the emotional attachments, the way that food impacts our mood. This is so, so important. But because I've done that whole episode on like the sugar, mood, depression, anxiety link, I'm just going to refer you to episode 90 if you want to know more about that stuff. All right, let's talk about cravings. And I have probably done two or three episodes on cravings, but I want to talk about what you're looking for in your journal or your tracking document related to cravings. Oftentimes, our cravings are habitual. And this is important because we can't tackle habits that we don't know we have, right? One thing that many of my clients see is that they, quote unquote, always have a sweet craving in the mid-afternoon or the evening. That is a pattern, right? Just like a child who throws a tantrum for dessert every night after dinner, when we start to see, gosh, through my habits, through my consistent choices, I've kind of programmed my body to expect something sweet in the middle of the afternoon or after dinner. And so looking for these patterns, when we make note of it's 7.30 and here I go with a craving for ice cream, when we make note of that, we can change it. And as I've said on all of the craving episodes, The more sugar we have, the more of anything we have, the more of that thing we crave. And when we decide, I want to eliminate my cravings, so like the toddler throwing the tantrum, I'm just going to say no. That will eliminate the cravings, right? The other thing to keep in mind related to cravings is look at your protein intake because deficiencies in amino acids, which are the building blocks of proteins, can lead to cravings. So check your protein status. Are you getting enough, right? If you're not eating sugar but you're craving it constantly, look at your protein intake. Now, as I've said before, cravings can also be related to blood sugar instability. This is a factor across the board. When we have those peaks and valleys in our blood sugar, at the bottom, your body will trigger you because it wants to stabilize blood sugar with hunger and craving. So the more that you can structure your meals with the protein, with the fat, with the fiber from non-starchy vegetables, the more you will find that your cravings are eliminated. Or as it relates to alcohol, are you experiencing more cravings? When you're drinking or the day after drinking, a lot of that has to do with the blood sugar instability triggered by alcohol consumption. Or maybe your cravings are related to an emotional or a coping response. Do you experience cravings in response to stress or emotion? What is it that you really need to resolve that stress or emotion? Does whatever you're desiring to eat have anything to do with the stress or the emotion, or is it just a distraction? Sleep. I really encourage people to track sleep. If at the end of the day, you have that sensation of 
wired but tired, you're exhausted but you just can't come down off of it enough to fall asleep, this is one of the signs of an imbalance in the hormone cortisol, right? And maybe the imbalance is caused by eating too close to bedtime, which is going to elevate cortisol and therefore suppress melatonin. Are you working out too close to bedtime? Same thing. You'd be elevating cortisol, which suppresses melatonin. Are you eating too much sugar, right? You want to look at, are you able to fall asleep and stay asleep? These are hormonal signals because it is our hormones that allow us to fall asleep and stay asleep. You want to look at things like how does your hunger differ when you're well-rested versus overtired? Does sleep or lack of sleep impact your cravings? Almost all of my clients are surprised to see how much of an impact that their sleep has on their fat loss and their food choices. And it's one thing for me to say it on the podcast or on a webinar, but it's another thing and a very powerful thing to see it in action in your own life. So paying attention to the sleep, to the mood, the energy, the cravings, the hunger, all of this is absolutely critical. Now, I want to mention a couple of other things. First, you have to be also tracking your fat loss. Like I said, waist circumference, waist at the most narrow point, and hip circumference, hips at the widest point. You also might want to pay attention, the ladies out there, to your menstrual cycle. How does this impact your cravings, your hunger? If you are normally ravenously hungry the week before your period starts, then you want to structure your meals to satisfy you more during that time. If you know that you'll have intense cravings at a particular you know, series in your cycle, then you want to be prepared to respond to those intelligently. It doesn't sneak up on you. Once you notice the pattern, you can be strategic and plan ahead. You, maybe you want to pay attention to alcohol and how alcohol impacts your fat loss or your hunger or your cravings or your sleep. Or maybe your bowel movements. What foods make you more regular versus less regular? Maybe you want to pay attention to your skin health, your breakouts. What foods are giving you clearer, brighter skin and what foods are not? Now, you might be asking, how in the world do I pay attention to these things? The first and most easy way that I recommend people do this is just make note of the extremes. If you're super, super hungry, that is important. If you realize, oh my gosh, it's been six hours since I had breakfast and I'm not hungry at all, that's really important. If it's two in the afternoon and all you want to do is put your head down on your desk and take a nap, that's really important. So I really encourage people at first, you might not notice the nuance shifts. So note just the extremes, the intense craving, the extreme fatigue or the high energy, the ravenous hunger or the absence of hunger. Alternatively, you can rate these things at specific points in the day, like set an alarm on your phone or something, or just know that whenever you eat, before you eat and after you eat, you're going to rate all of these on a scale of 1 to 10, right? So that's that's another way to do it. I wouldn't get hung up. So many people be like, I don't know the difference between a 6 or a 7. I don't either. I mean, ballpark it, right? This isn't an exact science, and you're the judge and the jury, so your 6 can be my 12. It doesn't really matter. So if you have questions about the questions to ask yourself, 
when you are evaluating your journal or your tracking document, just go to primalpotential.com slash episode 150 and you'll see a long series of questions that you can begin to ask yourself to really troubleshoot and learn. So anyway, I hope this episode was super helpful for you. Want to wrap up like I normally do with what I ate yesterday. If you're following me on Instagram, you know that I'm a little bit of a kick right now with this raw cabbage salad. It is raw red cabbage and green cabbage with this carrot ginger dressing, which I've adapted from a Nom Nom Paleo recipe, but it's basically carrots, fresh ginger, apple cider vinegar, and extra virgin olive oil in the blender poured over raw chopped cabbage, and I usually have it with some avocado or guacamole. Um, So I had that after my workout, and then I had an early dinner of spaghetti squash with ground beef and avocado, and then later, because I had an early dinner, I was a little bit hungry, I took some coconut butter and some 100% dark chocolate and just snacked on that for a little bit before I called it a night. So anyway, we'll be back in a couple of days with another episode. I hope you have an excellent day and I will talk to you very soon. Take care. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Primal Potential Podcast, where my goal is not to inform you, but to transform you. And if you would like to receive free motivation and strategy and recipes, workouts, meal ideas every week right to your inbox, just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. It's a great way to get the tools, the strategies, and the practical implementation assistance that you need to create your own transformation between podcast episodes. Just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. See you there. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.